Let me start my timer. We are continuing through the book of, of Romans, and um, like I said last week, some other very robust uh, preachers uh, who have paved the way in the book of Romans. Um, uh, John Piper went through uh, a sermon series on, on Romans for 339 weeks. That's a long time. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones went through the, the book of Romans for 11 years and only got halfway through it, and then he passed away, and then you even finish it. And to your relief, we're not going to do that, okay? But what we want to do is the goal is to go systematically through the book of Romans, and the reason for that is uh, the book of Romans is probably the most rich and the most thorough explanation of our gospel. Last week we talked about the man named Paul who wrote the book of Romans and why it was so uh, important for us to understand who Paul is because he had actually never visited the church in Rome and he had done years and years, probably about 20 years of ministry through his missionary journeys, seeing God do miraculous things, uh, changing him from inside out. He used to be a very religious, devout Jew, Pharisee among Pharisees. God encounters him on the road to Damascus as he's on his way to persecute the church. And he has an encounter with Jesus himself, knocking him to the ground. And what happens at this time is Paul is radically transformed and he's ministering and he's, he's, he's planting churches and he's writing most of what we have now is the New Testament. And out of that, he has the desire for Rome. Never being able to visit Rome, he writes his, probably his dissertation on the gospel. And that's what we're going through. And so for us, it's not just a book to say, hey, this is a great book and you know, we can learn some things and we can gain some knowledge about Rome or you know, what the Bible says about this and this. No, what this is, this is a, a book for us to understand the essence of our faith, the gospel, the, 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 the discipling of how the, the gospel impacts us and calls us to live the way that we do and the why we do what we do. And so last week, we, we looked at the, the biography, so to speak, of Paul. And this week, we're going to jump in a little bit uh, more into the meat this morning. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Romans, and we're still in chapter 1. And we're just going to read two verses this morning. And we're going to systematically just unpackage the phrases that Paul gives us and how these impact us why we should take special note of these, these phrases that Paul gives us and what it means for us who call ourselves Christians who believe this good news of the gospel. So if you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 16. And Paul says this after he's already greeted the church in Rome. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Why don't we just pray, and then we'll, we'll dive into these. Are you guys with me? All right, let's go for it. God, thank you for your, your gospel. Thank you for scripture. Thank you for this book of Romans um, as, we, as we sit under your, uh, your word this morning, we trust, Holy Spirit, that you will speak to us. We trust that you're going to change us from the inside out. Um, and so we, we just submit ourselves to the authority of your word, and we ask that you would highlight to us things 
in our lives that don't line up with what you've called us to do? Will you come and bring correction? And will you do it through your beautiful grace of Jesus on the cross? And so this morning we say, first of all, Jesus, thank you for the word. And second, help us to live your word and help us to be transformed by it. And in your name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, so let's just get right into it. I'm going to give us uh, five things this morning. I want to break down the five phrases that I, I want us to highlight this morning. And the first one is this, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, why, why would Paul say something like that? Why would he have to, to tell the Romans that he's not ashamed of the gospel? You think of somebody like Paul who... You see, if, if anybody in Scripture, this guy's super, like, you know, confident in his faith, right? I mean, he's written most of the New Testament. He is, like, if you have a question probably about anything, I mean, we learned last week that he spent three years being taught by Jesus himself, the resurrected Christ. And here, this, this man who's writing this book, he, after he introduces himself and, and gives a, like a hello and a greeting to the, to the Romans, he starts off by saying, for I'm not ashamed of this gospel that I've been saved by. Why would Paul have to say something like that? Why Some, some commentaries say, well, he, he's just kind of just throwing it out there trying to say, you know, like we shouldn't be ashamed. Um, but I, I kind of disagree with that. And here's, here's what I think. The gospel, and now don't judge me yet, okay? Let me qualify this before you start freaking out here, all right? The gospel is shameful. You guys are like, what are you talking about? To preach something that from the worldly standpoint seems foolish is shameful. To say that you earn favor with God by not you being a good person and doing all these good works like every other religion or every other system that our world goes by seems contrary to the human mind. And it's shameful. You mean to tell me that you believe this? So here, here Paul is preaching to the, the Roman Empire, right? This church in the Roman Empire who prides themselves on imperialism, who prides himself as being the center of the known universe. And here you're going to come and you're going to preach to me about this obscure Jewish guy who died on a cross, who died the most shameful way that should be, that, that was only reserved for criminals. And you're going to tell me that your hope is in that and in somehow magically he resurrected from the dead. That's crazy. That's crazy talk. And Paul would have said, I, I'm not ashamed of this gospel because he had many opportunities to be ashamed of the gospel. He was beaten for the gospel. He, he, was, he was shipwrecked for the gospel. He, many times he was persecuted for the gospel. People wanted to kill him because of his message of the gospel. And so he comes to Rome and he says, hey Rome, I get it. You're, you're like the center of the universe. And what your culture believes is power, that's not real power. And the temptation to be ashamed of this message that I'm going to preach, there's been times where I've wanted to like diminish the message that I've had to say. There's been times where I've kind of wanted to say, 
yeah, I, I know this sounds strong, but you know, you know, try to hear the good stuff about it, right? Don't we sometimes say that when we're trying to minister to somebody? We're like, man, if I tell them, unless you repent and unless you only declare Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you'll have no part of him. You will spend eternity in hell. That feels a little bashful to say something like that. And so Paul brings this letter of encouragement to the Romans, never visiting them, but he says, I am not ashamed of this gospel. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. Even though there's times where I'm tempted to give in to my fear of man, even times where God tells me to go up and speak to somebody about the resurrected Christ and, and how awkward that is and how I should share my life wherever I am with G, about Jesus, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. And Paul brings this encouragement to them. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly, that means foolishness, to those who are perishing, to unbelievers. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. See, there's, there's people this morning, maybe family members, maybe friends, coworkers, who if they think about you and if they're unbelievers, may be ridiculing the fact that we're sitting here this morning, worshiping a God that we can't see. These texts that are written 2,000 years ago. What a bunch of idiots. And Paul says, just, just, just do this. Water off a duck's back. Don't be ashamed of this glorious gospel. Don't be afraid to be proud of this gospel. Don't, be, don't, don't feel like it's, it's, it's not powerful. Don't, don't be afraid that it can't bring transformation. And, and, and this will lead us into this second phrase. Well, let, let, me, let me, before we get there, Jesus, Jesus had the same temptation, so to speak. Here, I, I'm just going to read it to us. It says this in Hebrews 12 two. Jesus despised the shame for the joy that was set before him. Speaking of Christ about to go to the cross, it says he despised the shame. What does that mean that Jesus despised the shame? That's kind of, I don't know, most of us who've grown up hearing this verse, we often focus on the joy that was set before him, right? And we, we like to put our face there for Jesus's joy. He saw our face when he knew he was going to go to the cross. And I, and I think that's good, and I think that's helpful. But I think it's also good that we understand how Christ despised the shame of going to the cross. And I want to read you something that John Piper said. This isn't scripture, but this is just a little helpful um, narrative that Piper wrote up about how Jesus, uh, maybe something Jesus may have thought or prayed as a despising the shame. It says this to me, and I'm just going to read it for you. It says, listen to me, shame. Do you see that joy in front of me compared to that? You are less than nothing. You are not worth comparing to that. I despise you. You think you have power? Compared to the joy before me, you have none. Joy, joy, joy. That is my power, not you, shame. You are worthless. You are powerless. You think you can distract me? I won't even look at you. I won't even, you know, it's like, mm-mm. I have a joy set before me. Why would I look at you? You're ugly and despicable, and you are almost finished. You cover me now as with a shroud before you can say, so there, I will throw you off like a filthy rag. I will put on my royal robe. You think you are great because even last night you made my disciples run away. You are a fool, shame. 
You are a despicable fool. The abandonment, that loneliness, this cross, these tools of yours, they are all my sacred suffering, and I will save my disciples, not to destroy them. You are a fool. Your filthy hands fulfill holy prophecy. Farewell, shame. It is finished. Isn't that awesome? That's so beautiful. And so we look to Jesus for our encouragement in overcoming the shame of a message that says, those who are weak are strong. Those who lay down their lives will find it. So opposite of the world. But our hope there, it doesn't end there. And here's Paul's reason why he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And let's look at this second phrase. He says this, for it is the power of God for salvation. Oh, if we, church, could just grasp this, if we could truly understand what it means for Paul to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, not because I white-knuckle this thing and when I'm tempted to be afraid or ashamed, I just tell myself over and over again, you're smart enough, you're good enough, you're good-looking, people like you. No, that's not the kind of Christianity that we have. We have a Christianity, we have a faith that is powerful. This word power is where we get the word dynamite. It's called dunamis in the Greek. And it's, where it's, it's, it's like this explosion. It's this power under compression that's like lighting a match. And when, it, the, the, when the fire, when the heat hits that dynamite stuff, the chemicals, it explodes with power and nothing is stopping. You stick it under a rock, the rock just explodes. And when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel, it's because there's power. There's power in it. Now, here's the thing. In order for us to think that this is good news, we have to understand the bad news, okay? So let me say this, Romans 5, 6, we're gonna cheat a little bit, you guys okay? Romans 5, 6, if we were to go ahead and just sneak a little bit in chapter five, it says this, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Now what does that mean? If there's power in salvation, the power has to be applied to something that's weak. And Paul tells us here in chapter 5, he says, listen, while we were still weak, while we were still sinners, while we still had no ability and, and reality to be able to save ourselves from our current circumstances, God in his power stepped into humanity and said, here I am, I'm going to pour out for you the power that you need to be saved. And so when you are tempted to be ashamed of this glorious gospel that we know is true in here, but the fear comes into our heart, God steps into humanity and says, I give you the power to not be ashamed. Why? Because our salvation comes from God and God alone, and God is the author of that power, and it doesn't reside with us trying to do this all on our own. God gives us the power to do this. Now, here's the thing about this salvation. I want to say, guys, this is so much more than conversion. Paul's not just only talking about this gospel converts us like it did for him on the road to Damascus, right? He's riding, I think, he, I'm just going to speculate that he's on a, a horse, Paul would probably deserve a horse, not a donkey at this time, right? He's like, a, he's like the dude's dude. So he's riding on a noble steed, maybe a Budweiser horse, Clydesdale kind of a thing. And so when he rides up, steam coming out of the horse, you're feeling intimidated, right? 
riding in with all his power into Damascus, Paul is confronted with the power of salvation, and he has this conversion moment. But Paul understands that the gospel is so much more than just a moment we have to convert us from where we were and to where we're headed. It's the power of the gospel to keep us, to sustain us, to transform us. And as Keller says, the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. The gospel is the A to Zs of Christianity. The gospel story is not just a conversion. The gospel story is every step that we take toward Christ as we continue to walk in holiness, as we continue to walk in obedience. This powerful gospel will empower us to walk out of faith that we can't do on our own. And that's what Paul is saying. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. See, because before I used to think all this outside stuff will save me. Before I used to think if I am a Pharisee among Pharisees, if I keep the Jewish law, if I do all the good stuff, that will empower me to please God. But I'm not ashamed of this gospel because I understand now. I was powerless to do that on my own. I understand now the times where I'd get discouraged when I look at my own sin and I go, man, I'll never be able to add up. I'll never be a good enough Christian. And at the times where I found myself finding myself arrogant because I'm keeping the law, both of those two extremes are now gone and they've been dealt with in the cross because the power of the gospel gives me the empowerment to walk out this faith perfectly because when God looks at me, he doesn't see my works how good or bad, what he sees is Christ. And I, tell the truth, Pastor. I'm about to hyperventilate up here. If this is true about this gospel that we have, let me say something that is hard for me to live, but it's a truth that I always and am constantly saying, God, help me understand this. And when I say this, you're going to probably wrestle with it a little bit. And that's okay. We all should. And it's this. Every problem, every problem that we have is either a lack of applying or understanding the gospel. Now, why do I say that? Let me say that again. Every problem that we have is either a lack of applying or understanding the gospel. And the context of that is, friends, this glorious, powerful gospel is the hope and the answer that we have every every problem that we face when we say, if the gospel is not the ABCs, it's not just the introduction, it's not just our conversion. God does not just say, okay, I'm going to save you, and then you figure it out by yourself. And every once in a while, I'll come in and intervene because you're starting to go way off. See, God doesn't do that. What he does is he converts us. And then, Marianne, come here. What he does is, like, let's say you're, this is Marianne before Christ. And she's walking toward her destination and her kind of, you know, selfishness and her ambitions and all these kinds. So she's walking, she's doing this. And then God says, hey, 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 hey. Hey, I want to look at, you're about to step off of a cliff here. And actually, you're walking the wrong direction. So I'm going to convert you. And what God does in this moment, He doesn't just go, okay, now grow up, read some books, right? He doesn't do that. <laughs> he does this. He walks with this by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, all right. 
And then she's like, no, 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 I want to cut. And he's like, no, 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 remember, this is, this is what I have for you. Okay, thanks, babe. You can sit down. <laughs> so, and, and why I wanted to, us to hone in and understand this is because this is the gospel. The gospel is every single step that we take is a reminder that we were saved when we were yet still weak in our sins. And we, were, we remind ourselves that God is for us and that Jesus is our hope. And that doesn't just apply to when we became a Christian. That applies to every single day. And when, some, when my relationships are going bad, when, my, when I'm tempted, if there's sickness in my body and I go, sickness, that's the main problem I have. If I could just be, become healed in my body, then everything will be better. No. See, our gospel tells us there's answer even in our sickness. And God will supply every need that we have, even if we walk with sickness, even if we walk with relationships that aren't whole, even if we walk with bank accounts that feel like, why are all these grasshoppers eating, I don't know where I'm going with this, the leaves of my garden of my bank account. I'm always having to shoo them away. When we understand the truth of the gospel, it helps us take every step no matter how hard or how easy it is. And this is why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this. Don't be ashamed of it. It's a gospel of God, and it's a gospel of power, and it empowers you to live your Christian life every single second of your life. All right. Number three. You guys doing all right? We're halfway done. So, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel, for it's the power of God and salvation. And he says this, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. For in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, here's where Paul helps us really understand this beautiful truth that for those of us who call ourselves Christians, for those of us who have put our hope and faith in Christ, that we no longer live by this religious kind of system anymore. Remember, last week we talked about this difference between religion and faith in Christ and in the gospel. If we could pit these two against each other, religion and the gospel. Religion is a hope and a faith in a system that man has set up and so the hope and faith is, if I perfectly live out this faith and this system, God will be pleased by me, right? That's what religion says. Live this way, God will be happy. Do these good works, and God, when you die, he'll weigh up your life in the scales, and he'll say, did you do more good stuff or more bad stuff? Well, you're about even, so if God's feeling particularly generous on the day of judgment, he'll maybe tip the scales toward your favor. Maybe, you're just, maybe he's just kind of not feeling it, so he's like, mm, bing, see you later, right? And that's what religion does. We live under this constant threat of, I'm not good enough. This constant uh, um, striving. Uh, I, I read a quote by Buddha the other day, and it said, never cease striving, and our gospel says, be still and know, surrender, right? And so that's really the way of religion. But in our faith, 
we have this righteousness, we have this already being pleased by God, not based on what we've done or what we haven't done. It's based on who? It's based on Jesus. It's based on the work, the finished work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection. And so what Paul's telling the believers here in Rome, he's saying, listen, guys, don't be ashamed of this gospel for it's the power of God, for in it the righteousness, your right standing, your, your uh, if I could turn this into a word, God happiness with you, is not based on what you've done. It's based on the righteousness of God. Now, what is that? Jesus, he's talking about it. This is a, this is a theological term here. He's talking about the imputed righteousness of Christ. What does that mean, imputed? Here, here's, the, here's the contrast. Religion amputates. What did I write down here? I think it was, it was really good when I was doing this, so I want you guys to get this. <laughs> Uh, yeah, religion. Oh, okay. And it's, it's A's, okay? Because I had to like try to uh, acronym or what do you call it? Alliterate. All right, so religion amputates and a, a religion accumulates. Oh, getting like gospel in here, all right? It amputates in the sense of like, okay, uh, you, you are sinful in this area, so cut that part off of you. Stop doing this in order to make God happy with you. And it's almost, there's some, there's some uh, religions that t- teach that if you beat yourself, if you whip yourself, if you hurt yourself, you're putting death to the flesh, right? So we, we try to amputate. Or either what we do is we try to accumulate. We try to add all these good works to ourselves. But the gospel, what it does is it imputes. It, it, imputate is not a word, okay? But it imputes. So it's like this. It's like when you go to the doctor, and we have to get our kids shots in order that they can go to school. So what they do is they say, okay, in this shot are all these little bugs and viruses. And because we want you to be strong and we want you to have a resistance against like chicken pox and the measles and all these kinds of things, we're going to stick the stuff in you so that you'll have a resistance. And what it does is it hopefully transforms like the antibodies in you. And so you have now this ability to fight off of these viruses. Without this imputation of these helpful inoculations, you're left to your own ability to try to fight these things off. But what the doctor is hoping is once I put this in you, you will now be transformed from the inside out and the things on the outside will no longer affect you. Do you guys see, see what's going on here? And so what Christ, when, when, the, when the righteousness of Christ is revealed in us through the gospel, it's, it, it's, this thing, it's this sense that we, our character, our identity has been transformed from the old person who we once were and now we've received from the inside out the imputation of righteousness. But it doesn't just stop there. See, it's not just the fact that we we somehow think that if we receive the forgiveness of Christ, then we just kind of go on our merry way. Friends, what I want us to get is God, when he looks at you, if you've surrendered your life to him as Lord and Savior, and you said, Jesus, I, I receive your righteousness. I take it, and I want to live through that. When he sees you, he doesn't look at you and judge you and go, well, today you had a good week. Let me come back next week. And then the next week, you're like, he's like, no, you didn't have a good week this week. You had a bad moral week. And so I'm going I'm to treat you accordingly to how you did. Now when the Father looks at us, 
and we approach him and say, Lord, will you hear my prayer? He says, absolutely, my boy. Absolutely, my girl. Yes, I love you. And why? It's not because you, had, you did so well. It's because he says, I look at you and I see Christ. I look at you and you've taken now the imputed righteousness of Christ for I'm not ashamed of this. Guys, this is such good news for us who call ourselves Christians, who are constantly striving, who are constantly tempted to go back to this gospel if somehow I do this all on my own, I can save myself by my own works. It doesn't work. The only thing that gives us favor with God is Christ and Christ alone. And that's why the gospel is not just a moment. The gospel is moment to 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 moment. And until we go home to be in glory, we will be living the truths of the gospel. You guys okay? All right. Number four. Not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed Oh, you know what? Sorry. I want to read something to you. Can we go back to number three? Is that okay? Never left it. Never left it? Okay. Number three. This is, this is Martin Luther. Martin Luther didn't become, a, didn't understand the gospel until he read Romans. It was really what Romans, Romans was the start of the Reformation. Because Martin Luther read Romans and he said, I don't think I've ever understood the gospel. And it was particularly this portion here, verses 16 and 17, that transformed Martin Luther in a radical way. And the reason why we're standing here preaching the good news that we are is because this revelation that Martin Luther had. And it's pretty similar to Paul. And I'm just going to read to you what Martin Luther says about this righteousness of God. He says this, stick with me here. I was a good monk he, uh, he wrote later, if ever a monk got to heaven by his monkery, it was I. Luther probed every resource of contemporary Catholicism for assuring the anguish of a spirit alienated from God, but nothing pacified his tormented conscience until, having been appointed professor of Bible at Wittenberg University, he studied and expounded first the Psalms and then Romans. At first, he was very angry with God. He later confessed because he seemed to him more a terrifying judge than a merciful savior. Isn't that true when we understand God is like constantly weighing up our good and bad behavior? Where might he find a gracious God? What could Paul mean in Romans 1.17 when he stated that the righteousness of God was revealed in the gospel? Luther tells us how his dilemma was resolved, and this is what he said. I had greatly longed to understand Paul's letter to the Romans, and nothing stood in the way but that one expression, the righteousness of God. Because I took it to mean that righteousness whereby God is righteous and acts righteously in punishing the unrighteous. Night and day I pondered until I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy, he justifies us by faith. 
Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of scripture took on a new meaning. And whereas before the righteousness of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love. This passage of Paul began to me a gateway into heaven. Isn't that beautiful? Such good news. And thank God for what God did with Martin Luther. All right, number four. From faith to faith. What does this mean? And I'm just going to fly through this one here. From faith to faith. What is this understanding of from faith to faith? You know, if you can understand... First of all, that our gospel was received not because of our own ability to receive it, really. It's not the fact that we were so good and so God looked at us and said, wow, I really need Bernie on my team. You know, Bernie's got some gifts and talents and man, he's doing all the right stuff. You know, Bernie, you did it, buddy. You earned it. I, you caught my eye and I'm going to come down there and get you. That's not the way it works. Although that's probably true, Bernie. No, this from faith to faith is this understanding if you are an employer, think about it as an employer to an employee. An employer is the one who does the giving, the one the reaching out and says yes and, and extends a job or a, a financial ability to the employee. The employee doesn't come in and demand something from the employer. The employer extends it to the employee. And so it is with this understanding of faith. This, our faith does not come from us being able to muster up enough understanding or enough like good intentions or enough white knuckling in our religion. And so somehow it will earn us favor. Again, we're just going to keep coming back to these truths of the gospel. But it is only first and foremost received by God, from God. And so what God does says, I'm the faith-er. Like he's the employer, I'm the faither. And I, you, the faithy, I'm going to faither your faithy. Okay? <laughs> Why is this important for us? Because what we tend to do is put our faith in faith. We tend to say, if I have enough faith, this and this and this and this will happen. If I just believe it. Remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We do the Luke Skywalker. If I just center myself and focus on the force and, you know, like, what does Yoda say? To, to Luke when he's trying to lift the X-wing out of the swamp. And he's like, I can't believe it, right? Well, after Yoda does it and Yoda goes, that, this is why you fail, right? <laughs> As if somehow we just, if we have enough faith, we can do whatever we're called to do. But we have to say, it's not because of our faith, it's because of the faith that we've been given. See, God is the faith-er and we are the faithees. Now, this can also help us understand that it is from faith to faith, from God to us, but it's also from us to each other and to the world. And so this beautiful gospel that we have comes from God alone, but our uh, responsibility as those of us who call ourselves disciples of Christ is to take this faith that we have, that we've been given, and to share it with those around us and to say, guys, this gospel I have is beautiful. I'm not ashamed of it because it didn't originate with me because I know who I am. It comes from God alone. Let me share with you this faith that I have. Let me, let me help you in this, 
this thing called the gospel. And we do that with each other. We encourage one another. When our faith, sometimes we're tempted to put our faith in ourselves or put our faith in faith, we remind each other, say, listen, put your faith in God, right? Put your hope in God. And will you encourage me to do the same thing? Because where did we all get this faith from? It wasn't because I was really good. It's because God in his grace poured out this faith on us. And so we encourage one another. He's like, how's your faith? How's your faith? My faith is struggling. Oh man, let me, let me help you with your faith. How's your faith? It's strong. Oh, let's celebrate that faith, right? From faith to faith. You know, this, this letter written to Romans, sometimes we think there was this great giant church in Rome. Paul's writing to this mega church, right? Because we think of Rome as like the capital. And surely a capital city will have a capital church, a lot of historians, a lot of commentators say this church may be about the size that we are, about 100 adults. And the temptation would be to say, we're just, we're just, we're just you know, the little church in Rome. We're just, we're just Southland's Chino. We're just, we're just you know, next, next week will be two years that we've been going. Yeah. Some of us might say, wow, look at all the great things God's doing among us. And sometimes we feel like, man, we have such a long way to go. And I know this church felt the same way. And Paul says, listen, it's not about your numbers. It's not about the size. It's about this faith that God's giving you. And has God called us to grow here at this church? Yes, he has. God has called us to not only grow in our Christianity and in our understanding of the gospel, but it's so that we are, why are we here this morning? So that we become more like Christ, so that we can help others become more like Christ. And that's why we want to grow. That's why we want to see more people call themselves a Southlands Chinoer. That's a thing, a Chinoer. Where are you, where, are you, where, where do you call home? Southlands Chino, why? Because well, the, the, the singing's really great. Okay, true. Because the preacher's really awesome. No, that's not true. Because why? Because we are on mission together. We're on mission to see the city transformed. We are on mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And I'm a disciple, you're a disciple, let's disciple together and let's disciple others. All right, last point. So it's from faith to faith, from faith. But the, he says this, that the righteous shall live by faith. Righteous shall live by faith. Now Kelly, wait a minute, I thought you were saying this wasn't based on our works. I thought you were saying, you know, this wasn't like me being, having the ability to be good or bad and then somehow God will look at this and, you know, be happy with me or be grumpy with me. Well, no, that is true. But here, here's the, the beauty of how this works. It's, it's like the cyclical kind of motion. The faith comes from God originates from God, is deposited into our hearts, and therefore, that's the essence, that's the empowerment that we continue to live in. That's the, that's the, that's the, the steps that we take when God says, okay, I want you to start a church in Chino. Okay, God, I will 
step out in faith. Okay, I want you to start launching some um, life groups. Okay, God, we will launch life groups in faith. Okay, I want you to start having robust worship and have a whole band up there. And I want you to start reaching out into the neighborhood and, and start sharing with people who don't understand this gospel and who are trying to live it the old way and through religion. Okay, God, I will continue to do that. And every step I take, I will do it through faith. Uh, the just the, the righteous shall live by faith. And so, God, you call me to walk this out, and every step I take is a step of faith in the direction that I feel that you call me to live. And what this is, for those of us who want to understand some nerdy stuff, this is the indicatives and the imperatives. The indicatives. This, that means that these are the truths of the gospel. If the gospel is this, then that means that it requires this, right? If you're a grammar nerd, you understand this. The indicatives and the imperatives. The indicatives are that you've been set apart, that you've been set apart as a holy nation, that you were transformed from the inside out, and now this faith is for others. And that's the imperatives now that we live in. So this, this truth that I've received, this great powerful gospel that has been imputed, this righteousness into me, is not just for me. The imperatives now is that I take this truth, this beauty, this transformation, that I've been given as a new believer in Christ and I therefore live out the imperatives now and I live a horizontal life. It's come to me vertically from God and I spread it through the imperatives of the gospel and it it gets disseminated into those around me. And so when Paul says, from faith to faith, we shall live by faith, we keep going back to this circle. God, it comes from you and it goes through me. And it comes from you and it goes through me, and it comes from you, and it goes, so when, when me and my wife have a little, right? <laughs> what do I do? Do I turn back to the religious way and say, I gotta do this empowerment on my own, I gotta be a good husband, I gotta make everything right on my own, you know, like all most husbands do. Well, what's the problem? Let me fix it, you know? No, I say, God, I need your gospel empowering, empowering in my life. I need to have a tender heart toward my wife. She was wrong, but I need to have empowerment. (laughs) Lord, show me. Show me the truth. Here's how, you want to know how the gospel works out? You guys were six minutes over. Can I just finish with this? You know how the gospel is reality and every, like sometimes the gospel seems ethereal. It's like, Kelly, you're talking. The gospel speaks to me when when I have a, a spat with my wife. It comes to me and tells me, first of all, my wife has value. (laughs) Why does my wife have value? Because I like her, and so therefore, the value that I like, I put on her? No. Because that waxes and wanes. My wife has value because of the gospel, and the gospel story is this, in the beginning, God created God created man and woman in his image. And God poured his value and his image into my wife. And so when the temptation of my heart is to devalue my wife based on my emotions or my thoughts, I remind myself of the truth of the beginning of the gospel that in the beginning God, and he created my wife to be in the image of him. And so I shift my heart from my hurt and I shift my heart from my 
bitterness and I shift my heart from my, how dare she, right? And I go, God, this beautiful woman who you've created has value. Let me treat her as one who has value. But then I remember the other part of the gospel. Not only were Adam and Eve, man and woman, created in the image of God, they fell. They morally created sin, right? They, 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 they uh, turned their backs on God and they, they, they ate of the fruit that he asked them not to eat. And so I say, Lord, I know that's in my heart. I know that I am sinful and I am not perfect. And even though I feel like my wife did something against me, and I feel like I'm in the right, Lord, I still want to extend grace. Why? Because I know that you did the same for me when I was still weak at the right time you died for me, when I was still powerless. And so, Lord, if I feel like she's wrong, Lord, help me not to focus on that. Help me to extend the grace to my wife when we can't see eye to eye. That's, I mean, that's just a practical way that the gospel helps us. We, we, sometimes we think the gospel's so out there, and it's like, I mean, that, that's just that's how it works. And that's me living in faith. That's me applying where the rubber hits the road, the gospel, this great gospel that Paul says he's not ashamed of. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation. Amen? Will you stand with me?